This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Two home heroes from neighbouring countries win their most prestigious domestic titles within an hour of each other. It's a tenth victory for Roger Federer in Basel and a first title for Dominic Team in Vienna. Schwarzman serving 3-5, 30-40. Team at the far end. Forehand return comes in court. Forehand back to his forehand. He goes cross-court hard with a bit of topspin on it. Will he go up the line? No, he continues the attack cross-court. Runs around to hit another forehand. Schwarzman answering in kind. Schwarzman from the backhand wing now a looping forehand cross. Backhand from team. Ball flatter over the net from Schwarzman. He's then directed down to the backhand wing. Slice from the Austrian is good enough cross-court. Then the drive back that way. Schwarzman coming up with a two-hander back into the wing on that uh, backhand side. But then to the forehand. He's under pressure. Team's got the ball to put away and does! Now flat on his back in delight. The title won, the title claimed brilliantly from a set down by the Austrian hero, their number one. And he's come out on top in the end. What a battle it was between these two good friends. And now a big embrace between the two and the emotion coming through. And uh, plenty of nice words from Schwarzman to the Austrian, who finally relieved, thrilled at what he's achieved. He has won the title in Vienna for the first time. He's done it. 3-6, 6-4, 6-3. The arena goes quiet. Most people in it want Federer to win one of these next two points. Championship point for Federer. As Diminor serves, back in return is chipped. Backhand from Diminor. Federer with his aggressive backhand to the backhand of Diminor. A slice from Federer. Diminor rushing to his forehand, goes up the line. Federer will slice this one with a lot of air. Diminor waits with his two-hander. Backhand from Federer, aggressive, pushing Diminor back. Short ball for Federer, goes down the forehand wing. Diminor's there, tries to run for Federer, misses it. Federer's arms are raised aloft. It's the first real emotion we've seen from him all week. The crowd rise, and Federer now with a almost like sheepish smile. Pats Diminor on the back as they shake hands at the net. This is an emotional victory for Roger Federer. Not just his home title, it took him so long to win this. It meant so much to him when he first did it. He lost a couple of finals, but he eventually won it. And he's now won this title 10 times. Hi there, I'm Chris Bowers. Welcome to this week's ATP Tennis Radio podcast. With me is Naomi Cavaday. But before I bring Naomi in, let's first hear from the man of the moment, the legend who now has 103, a staggering 103 tour titles to his name, 10 in his home city, and that is Roger Federer. I mean, it was fast, uh, but uh, very nice. Uh, I think I played a great match. It was a tough opener, you know, at the beginning, the first five games. Uh, we had some, some great rallies and uh, sort of never looked back, honestly. I was great on the offense, uh, made uh, very few unforced errors and came up with uh, the big shots and served when I had to. And, uh, yeah, that was good. I, th I thought Alex played a great, uh, great tournament as well, and I think we both can be very happy. But, uh, yeah, what a moment for me to win my 10th here in my hometown of Basel. Just take us back to that opening service hold of yours. How important was that? Um, he put you on a bit of pressure there, a couple yeah. of juices. Was that kind of a key moment right early on? Yeah, I had 40 love and he got back into the game there. I think if it get broken, that's obviously a tough one. After that, I think it was important for me to, to hold serve. After that, to show that I, had, I could hold my serve also easier. And I was able to do that. And I think from then, I kept on rolling. 
And you didn't drop uh, a set all week, um, playing some great tennis and still a couple of big tournaments to go. You must be very happy with things now. Very happy. Couldn't be more happy, actually. Um, feel also very good, uh, very fresh. Uh, I was a, um, what a great tournament it's been for me, always. Uh, but particularly the last few times I've been here now, it's always been finals, always been wins. And uh, that I'm about to lift the trophy again in a second, it's going to be, be fantastic. And just finally, be back next year for number 11. I'll try to, of course, you know, um, hope the body's going to be fine, hope the mind too. So far, everything looks good and um, I'm looking ahead. So uh, uh, it's good times right now. I couldn't be happier. Well, well played again. Enjoy your title and enjoy the pizza party. Yes, I will. Thank you. Well, Naomi, just a remarkable achievement for Roger Federer. Didn't drop a set all week. His longest match was an hour and 18 minutes. At 38, he can still produce it match after match. Absolutely extraordinary. It was some of the slickest tennis I think we've ever seen from Federer. And really very comfortable indeed in, in winning that title. Definitely his most comfortable title in Basel out of the 10 he has collected. And there were some challenges, but no real threats. I was looking at the uh, record that Jimmy Connors has. He has 109 titles. Federer now has 103. But Connors was younger than Federer was when he won his 30, uh, when he won his 109th title. So the question is, how long can Federer go on? And my feeling is, at best of three set level, at least another year, possibly two. It's the best of five that might be now too far for him. Yeah, the best of five has been a struggle, I think, probably for the last 18 months or so. We've seen him fatiguing in matches and, and losing matches from... Uh, those sorts of positions. So I think that uh, definitely for the young guys who really want to get their wins over Roger Federer in a Grand Slam, best of five tennis, they've got to be feeling like they're the favourite. If they can keep it physical, keep it going in the length of time. But in a match that lasts around an hour and a half, as a lot of Federer matches do, or if not shorter, because he plays at such a pace in between points and plays such short points, it's tough to think that he's going to actually get tired. And when he's wrapping matches up so clinically, he's, he's always going to be fresh. You and I are fortunate that we get to watch a lot of Federer. And uh, I suppose there's a... There's a temptation to think that we've seen everything that he has to offer and yet somehow in every match he produces something that makes us just sort of almost lose our breath. And in this final, I was the thing that stood out for me was one or two of the half volleys he played off his baseline, which he just stepped into and his timing is still immaculate. And some of the passing shots he played when he seemed to have no time to play a shot, let alone a passing shot, were just out of this world. You're right. Every single time you watch Roger Federer play, he does something that just blows your mind. And it, it's uh, just phenomenal, the level of skill available. But yeah, those half volleys off the baseline, really length was Diminor's friend in the final. That's what he needed to find. That was being somewhat effective. But then Federer kind of got a hold of it and flicked a few winners here and there off of the good shots. And, and Diminor was thinking, well, that was my only option, really, to actually have any impact at the other end of the court. And uh, as soon as Federer did that, you could see that his his belief really went. Who were the winners and losers this week? I mean, in particular, obviously Federer, but Dimino had a good week, Opelka and Sitsipas, the beaten semi-finalists. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's been a fantastic week for, for a number of players uh, playing really well at the back end of the season. We always talk about the back end of the season in terms of, you know, some players are tired and some players have wrapped up their season early. And, and yes, that is the case, but a lot of players really finding their form, playing really well. And I think it's great that Sitsipas has kind of got things back on track after a little bit of a stutter through the US Open series and watch out for Opelka on the indoor courts because that is a tough ask and he is somebody who is capable of beating anyone at any time so uh, yeah he's one to watch 
So much for the Swiss indoors in Basel, but there's another home hero who won the Asterbank 500 in Vienna. That was Dominic Thiem, and this is what he had to say after winning his first Vienna title. Well, I mean, it's it's been an unbelievable year for me in Austria to win the titles in Kitzbühel and also here in Vienna. I, I've had some troubles to deliver my, my best tennis to play my best tennis for, for this amazing crowd in Kitzbühel and also here in Vienna and now in the same year I win both titles. It's uh, completely unreal to me and also how it came uh, three times in, in this week. I came back from zero one sets down and uh, also to to share the court in the final with, with a guy who, who became a very close friend in all these years. It's uh, it's very nice in one way to, to beat him in such an important match. It's uh, hard in the other way, but, well, I just can hope that we have uh, many more big matches together to come uh, on the different side of the court and also on the same one. But, uh, no, it's been a, a dream week. How do you beat someone like Diego, who moves around the court so fast? He just seems to get every point. Yeah, he played exceptional well. And... Uh, I think he, he didn't miss anything. I, I really have troubles to play against him because uh, it doesn't matter what I do, if I play fast, if I play slow, he always have an, has an answer on everything and I think he served well today. Uh, he, he had a, a good percentage of first serves and uh, then he, he built up the points so well and caused me many, many troubles. But uh, I was fighting. I had, of course, this huge advantage again with the home crowd and used it well at the end. How important was it for you to break early in the third set and keep that momentum? The momentum came on my side uh, when, I, when I won that second set and I was I knew that I have to use it because uh, if not I'm going to be behind again. He's, he's one of the best return players in, in, in the world so it's never nice to always run behind so it was very important to get the, the lead in the third set. Dominic Team, who won the title in Vienna. And in fact, he did the Austrian double. He won Kitzbühel and Vienna, which means an awful lot for him. He had to win the final from a set down. He had to win three matches this week, three of his five from a set down. And in a way, the final was very similar to his semi-final. He looked out of it towards the end of the second set. And yet, when he managed to turn it round, he was away for the final set. Got to say that the crowd really helped him and playing at home, I think he felt a huge amount of expectation. This is was definitely going to be his best chance of winning this title because he is playing so well on the quicker surfaces this year uh, and that is putting him in a, a new position. He, of course, was the top seed coming in as well. So I think really feeling that amount of pressure but the crowd definitely getting behind him and lifting at the right time. And yeah, a lot of these matches were scraps for him, weren't they? Uh, all the way through, as you said, being a set down for the, the third time but managing to find a way. And he was absolutely sensational. We know what we're going to get from Dominic team. It's going to be Explosive. It's going to be fun to watch. He's going to be really aggressive, and we're going to see a lot of come ons as well. And uh, it was really, it was his title to lose. It felt like from the very beginning, and he did really well to hold on to it. He's arguably the world's second best clay quarter after Nadal, but he's really had to work on his hard court game. And it was only just over a year ago that he took Nadal to a, a final set tiebreak at the US Open, which sort of was almost like his coming out party as a hard court player. This year, he's really. Uh, cemented his hard-court game. 
what's actually made him into a better hardcore player? Well, I think he's just made a couple of adjustments uh, in terms of he's more comfortable further up the court. And the reason he wasn't comfortable before is because he has quite long wind-ups on his shots, a lot of loading, a lot of landing to get through. Everything is so, so explosive. And he's had to actually try and, and just just rein it in in those sorts of areas ever so slightly. So particularly when he's trying to take the second serve return on early, he can't afford to take a big wind up and land really heavily because by the time he's regained his balance, the ball's already back down his end. Uh, so that's something he's doing a lot better, just actually leaning into the ball, much like how Roger Federer does. He's very much a quick court specialist, although he can play on all surfaces, but he is so good at it in that actually you don't really have much landing at all. So changing direction becomes so much easier. It means that he moves better across the court and he doesn't live, leave uh, gaps available as well. And he can still be aggressive, but he just can't be aggressive in that big loading landing sort of way that he can on the clay. And a lot of that we can put down to the influence that Nicolas Massou has had. We talk a lot on the tennis circuit about the relationship between coach and player and every relationship is different. But uh, this has been a phenomenally successful one. They teamed up not long before Indian Wells. He won Indian Wells. He's won a 500 level uh, indoor hardcourt tournament. I mean, Something works in that relationship. It's been pretty excellent, hasn't it? I think all round. And uh, Dominic team saying that he is excited for next year with uh, coach Nicholas Massou. And it really has just worked brilliantly. And he clearly is really enjoying it as well. And I think has the same ambitions and aspirations that Dominic team has. I think he can see in his game how he can play on all surfaces, how he can win the big titles, how he can hurt all of the top guys. And it's just about kind of teasing that out at the right moments and making sure that he can get his best assets on display uh, regularly. And does the progress he's made on hard courts, winning Indian Wales, winning, winning Beijing, winning uh, Vienna, will that help his clay court game? Because people often talk about the clay court prowess helping your hard court game. Does it work in reverse? Well, that was actually the big question, I think, post-Indian Wells, was well, he's made all of these little adjustments. Nothing huge, but these adjustments, and he also has the belief on the hard court. Now, when we got to the clay, we were thinking, well, is he going to be able to just slot right back into his world-class clay court tennis that we have always seen from him? And of course, yes, he was absolutely fine so I'm not necessarily convinced that it's helped his clay but it absolutely hasn't taken away from his clay court tennis and he got one step closer to taking the biggest title on clay in Roland Garros and who knows maybe next year he'll go one step closer again. In terms of the other winners and losers in Vienna this week obviously Diego Schwarzman having lost the final he had a very good week and he's just on the edge of qualification for the Nito ATP finals probably won't make it Someone who probably will is Matteo Berrettini, the man that uh, team beat in the semi-finals. I was particularly impressed with him. What, what about those two players this week? Well, for Berrettini, he's he's looking pretty good to secure a, a spot in London. And just and the reason I say that is because he's in such good form. He's won so many matches. He has a humongous forehand that he can just dish out at will. And these surfaces really do take that forehand nicely. Of course, he picked the quicker tournament by coming to Basel rather than going to Vienna because he wants that court to help him out a little bit with his shots and make them even more devastating. But 
his improvement through this year has been nothing short of astounding. I mean, at the beginning of the year, the backhand was such a big vulnerability. Now he can slice it, he can defend, it looks very solid. And then he's going to attack with that forehand. And of course, he's got a big serve as well. So watch out for him in Paris and in terms of making his run to getting that spot in London. And for Schwartzman, well, quite the opposite in terms of players and in terms of game style. But I mean, he's just such a popular player around the place, isn't he? Amongst players, amongst coaches and amongst the fans. he I mean, how can you not like him? He just gives everything on the court, every drop of emotion and mental application he possibly can. And he has had a sensational year and uh, it's, it's a good thing to see. So let's just take stock of the last two places for the NATO ATP finals. Six of the eight are secure. In seventh is Zverev. In eighth is Berrettini. Do you see anybody likely to make a run to challenge those two or are they fairly home and dry even going into the Rolex Paris Masters? I would say that Zverev is probably home and dry because it would require two players to have a very deep run in Paris. And look, to be honest, uh, quarterfinals isn't quite going to cut it. They are going to be needing to reach semifinals when you get down past Bautista Agut who sits in ninth. Anybody past then has to go very deep in the tournament. It's happened before. We had a Jack Sock miracle that one year. It was an extraordinary run. Karen Hashanov, no one picked him to win the tournament last year. So it is absolutely possible that one of those players sitting outside does make that sort of run. I'm kind of tempted actually by a player, two players that are a little bit further down and it's just because of the experience for David Goffin. He's been there before. He knows what it takes and I think he feels like he belongs in that group. And of course, he did incredibly well there. He's won plenty of matches and reached the finals. So I would be... Uh, definitely watching out for him if I was sitting just above him in the spot and then also just Fabio Fanini because who knows who knows what the mercurial Italian will produce in Paris this coming week so we'll be talking there about the Nito ATP finals 10th to the 17th of November at London's O2 Arena the week before that we have the next gen ATP finals eight young players the field is now complete and the last player was a young player from Sweden being a professional tennis player requires great sacrifice. For Michael Emer, that was made easier knowing what his parents underwent before he was born. It was very tough, I think. Uh, you know, my mom, she went to uh, Russia to study five, six years without seeing her parents at all. And then she was planning to actually go back to Ethiopia, but it was war at that time, so she came to Sweden. And then my dad, the same. He flew from Ethiopia alone when he was in the 20s. Like when I feel like things are tough in my career, to think back what they've gone through, it's like, it's not even comparable. You know, our, our job is a dream job compared to that. I enjoy playing tennis, but overall, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to do this as a full-time job. And, you know, of course, my family motivates me a lot. Sweden has given us a great opportunity and the whole family is very proud to be Swedish. It's definitely been a major role in us having a chance to become tennis players. I love Ethiopia as my second country, of course, as my nation where my parents are from. And it will always be a part of me and we have to say for our tennis sake, we were pretty lucky that my parents did end up in Sweden because it would have been tough, of course, in Ethiopia to start playing tennis. I always try to give back, have that mentality. Three years ago, Uncovered visited Ethiopia with Michael's brother Elias and saw just how much the country means to the Emir family. And Michael has even gone as far as donating prize money to underprivileged children in the country. And you know, in Sweden it's already pretty good. If you want to, you will 
kind of have a chance and I was just thinking like, damn, like the kids in Ethiopia, like imagine how much talent there is there and I want them to also, it will still be of course much tougher because, you know, I can only do some part, you know, but I'm happy with my life now and now it's a time to try to find a way to, you know, help the next generation of country that has a little bit tougher to come through. On our visit to Ethiopia, Michael's father and brother also showed off the family's original sporting passion, running. My dad was a, he was a professional runner, both marathon and 10K, so it definitely runs in the blood. And that was the plan for us to become runners. We ended up playing tennis and enjoying tennis more. Up until maybe two years ago, I was running a lot. Now I have to change a little bit because of my body, how it's reacting to it. But like every chance I get, I try to run. I enjoy it. I think it's very good, very good for the head and the body. Fitness is easier than other days. Like in every job, there are some parts that I think is a little bit more challenging, a little bit more tough to do. It's maybe not so fun during that time, but when you win those three set matches or you come to a tournament and you feel strong and you feel like you're outrunning, outlasting other opponents, that's where I feel like, okay, it was, it was all worth it. The Swede has been on a tearaway this autumn, winning two consecutive ATP Challenger titles and cracking the top 75 of the ATP rankings. The success meaning he impressed in a competitive field in the next-gen ATP race to Milan. It's the toughest so far and you know I managed to collect a lot of points and they're competing for it. It's been a very good year, uh, very consistent. I've had some results that I'm very happy with and, and now you know we're off to the end of the season and the final push and uh, I'm excited for that. That was Mikhail Immer, the 21-year-old Swede, who has become the last person to qualify for the next-gen ATP finals. And all eight players represent eight different countries. Alex de Minor from Australia, Denis Shapovalov from Canada, Francis Tiafo from America, Kaspar Rud, Norway, Miomir Ketsmanovic, Serbia, Ugo Umber, France, Mikhail Immer from Sweden, and the... Wild card from Italy, Yannick Zinner, but he finished 12th, so I suspect, Naomi Cavaday, that he's going to be more of a challenge than the Italian wild cards we've had in the first couple of years. I think he's very much worth his place. Oh, absolutely. He's been sensational, really, just particularly in recent months, but he burst through, of course, uh, at his home event in Rome earlier in the year on the clay, and he's been winning matches on the tour, just 18 years old and only just turned 18, so he is the youngest in the field, quite comfortable actually and I'm sure we'll be seeing him there for quite some time but absolutely a big threat he plays so well on all surfaces really big flat strikes off of both sides so uh, yeah I wouldn't count him out a lot of the players who will be in Milan have got lots of experience on the tour I mean one thinks of Diminao one thinks of Shapovalov and uh, Francis Tiafo. what can they get out of the next gen uh, elite year ending finale that uh, they can't get on the tour well, that's a tough question, <laughs> to be honest. I suppose it's about jostling for position within themselves, really, because so many of them are doing so well and quite extraordinary that for the third year in a row, somebody is not playing because they've qualified for London. That's just absolutely not what I think the organisers or the ATP were expecting when they first put this tournament on. Three years in a row, absolutely extraordinary. So it's, um, I think it's about fighting and, and about 
showing the rest of the the youngsters that I'm going to be the next one. Sitsipas did that last year by winning the title and then going on to reach the semi-finals of Australian Open. And he really has been the next big thing out of that next-gen group. I understand that Medvedev's done very well, but he's just a little bit older. He wasn't in that group. So it, it's been just, uh, yeah, it's just been a, the perfect springboard. I don't know why. But every time uh, the, the winner has gone on to do sensational things. Yes, and it's a rare experience for them to actually play a tournament where if they lose a match, they've at least got two more if it's the first match they've lost. Whereas normally if you lose a match, you're on your way home. The next-gen ATP finals are a five-day event. 5th uh, of November is the starting date. That's a week on Tuesday. But before that, we have the Rolex Paris Masters, the final uh, Masters 1000 event of the year with the French players out in force looking to make an impact in the second tournament of the year in Paris. First one is Roland Garros. Second one is the Rolex Paris Masters at the Palais des Omnisports of Paris-Bercy on sort of the eastern part of the city. And looking forward to the event is Richard Gasquet, who's set to play Dusan Lajevic in the first round and is looking forward to the event in Paris-Bercy. It's one of the biggest tournaments, especially it's home, you know, for, for a French player. It's, it's always wonderful. The stadium is crazy, a lot of fans. So, yeah, it's, it's an important tournament for, for me in Paris, so I hope to play well. Do you feel more pressure as a Frenchman in Paris? Yeah, of course, it's always a lot of pressure to play there, but, you know, it's a, it's a great, uh, great pressure because I want to, to perform there. It's, I did semis a long time ago, some quarters. So, of course, it's a, it's a great venue, one of the best tournaments in the world, especially, as I said, for a French, but... We know we all know the draw is very tough, so I try my best to, to play the best tennis I can. I mean, your semi-final was 12 years ago, two quarter-finals since then. Do you think that you should have done better or were you just unlucky to come up against good players? Yeah, I have some tough moments this year with some injuries, so it was not easy. But, you know, I'm, I'm, playing, I'm starting to play, uh, to play good this summer. I'm, playing, I'm feeling good physically, as I said, so now I can, uh, I can reach... Uh, the good spots in, uh, in Bercy. Earlier this year, you became one of the few players to pass 500 wins. What did reaching that milestone mean for you? Yeah, it means a lot, you know, because many great players did it. Only not not only a few, not not uh, maybe 50 in, uh, in the history. So it's not a lot. So yeah, to be part of this, it's uh, it's crazy for for me, you know. I'm maybe the worst player to have uh, 500. Victories and uh, so yeah, as I said, it's crazy. It's a it's a good record for me and uh, of course I hope to to reach more victories in the future. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a thing I did and uh, I'm I'm proud of it. It's a little hard, isn't it, to say that you might be the worst player to have reached that mark? I mean, it's a great achievement. <laughs> One of the worst for sure. One of the worst. This I'm sure about it. But you know, it's great. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing for for me. So I, I don't know how many years I will play tennis now, but uh, I try uh, my best to, to play the best tennis in a, in a few years. You're 33 now. That's not old by today's standards. I mean, do you feel you've got two or three more good years in you? I hope. I hope. I had a tough moment this year, so I, I hope I can manage to to, to, to play well. Uh, yeah, I don't know when I will stop, as I said, but, you know, I try, I try to, to play more and more. You know, the, the, the mental condition, I'm feeling great. I still want to practice, to, to travel, and I'm not tired of it, so that's the most important. Of those 500-plus wins, can you pick out two or three that really give you the most satisfaction? I always tough to say, of course, I would say, I would say Federer in our Monte Carlo, he was number one. I was 100 in the world, I was 19 years old. Yeah, I would say uh, maybe some quarter-final in, uh, 
in Grand Slam, like uh, Andy Roddick, I won in, in five set. Same with uh, Vavrinka again in five set and Fierre five set in uh, in US Open. So I would say the, this uh, these four matches. That was Richard Gasquet looking forward to the Paris Masters. Naomi Cavaday, it's a always difficult to know what to expect because some players are tired, some players are running into good form. There's an awful lot of pressure for those who are still fighting for a place in the uh, NATO ATP finals. What are you expecting out of Paris? I think it's going to be very exciting coming down to the wire for a number of players. And what's great is that it's so many players that are in such good form so they can really be dangerous no matter who they're playing against. And uh, it's always just a really fun one. It's the final big event of the year for those who haven't qualified for London, but also it's an event that players target. Definitely those players ranked outside the top 10 when for most Masters events, let's face it, the top guys are in absolutely their best form. They are fresh, they are ready, they have eyes on the prize and it is incredibly difficult. But if you are ranked outside that top 10, this is a huge opportunity for some big points. And uh, I very much expect... Uh, some players will be looking to peak. Yep. Well, it's always a fascinating event and there's a couple of spots up for grabs in the singles up for London and three up for doubles. We'll be looking forward to the next Gen ATP finals and also concluding the regular tour year in our podcast next week. And don't forget this coming week you can hear live commentary on the Rolex Paris Masters on ATP Tennis Radio. Our coverage starts half an hour before play starts in Paris Bercy every day. And next week we've got commentary on the next Gen ATP finals in Milan, followed on the 10th of November by the eight days of the NITO ATP finals in London. Thanks for downloading and listening to our podcast from Naomi Cavadier and from me, Chris Bowers. Bye-bye. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.